Green Divas and Green Dudes come in many shades of green. Here to help you discover and celebrate your personal shade of green are hosts Green Diva Meg and Maxine Margot, veteran radio chicks who share important news about climate change and the plight of human existence, but somehow manage to make most of it fun and sexy using at least 50 shades of green. Well, hey there, and welcome to 50 Shades of Green Divas. I am Green Diva Meg. And I am Green Diva Max. And um, we're back green, in the studio. Yeah, we're back here in beautiful New Jersey. And New Jersey. And New Jersey, uh, New Jersey and you perfect together. Uh, <laughs> hey, and, that sounds like a slogan. I, I, well, it, it was. I know. Some governor. Who knows? One of those guys. Uh, one of those guys. Uh, but it's good to have Meg back because she was away for a bit getting a little R&R out in the left coast. And yeah, how, I did work a little bit, just you, saying. You'd work, just saying. I did. A I mean, little, you know, a little. Kind of, a little bit, but, you know. Yeah. The intent was to have you try you know, the not to work. The funny thing is about Southern California is even when you're working, you still feel like you're on vacation. Right, because it's warm. And everybody's, how, like, happy. How was the weather out there? Oh, yeah, well, okay. All the years that we've been going to Southern California, we usually go to Del Mar, you know, just San Diego area. In L.A., um, it's always been perfect. Perfect. I mean, like, 75 degrees every day, perfect. This was, like, 65 degrees. Oh. I know, cloudy. Oh. But, you know, we're coming out of a hard winter, so we are not daunted by that. You know, all the Southern Californians are wearing gloves, hats, down jackets, and we're like, hey, you know. Hey, it was funny. I saw uh, part of a, a Dodger game clip and everyone in Dodger Stadium was wearing like winter jackets yeah. and it's like 60 degrees and I'm literally laughing yeah. because I'm like are you kidding me <laughs> seriously gloves hats it looked like they were at a football game oh oh yeah and that happened while we were out there I'm sure because it was uncharacteristically cool well I went to a Mets game they actually won because lately I but <laughs> they it was in the 30s Wow. Oh, and wow. that legitimately called for a winter jacket, and I've never yeah. been to a Met game wearing a winter jacket. See, it's weird, right? You know, so we we always kind of pull this theme up of weird, but we it always talk about weather. It is inevitable, so we're just we just decided we're just going to do it. All right. So what what the heck? Because we had many openings to do it. <laughs> but you know, one of the things I did while I was in California, I have met Ed Begley a few times, and the last time I was. Out there and saw him, mm -hmm. he was building his house. And Green Diva Lynn and I went and we took some film and we had some fun with him uh, looking at everything in progress. That was like two years ago. And he keeps inviting us back. But Wayne, my husband, Green Dude Wayne Bouchard. Green Dude. Green Dude. Uh, we, we went and we visited Ed. And I didn't have any equipment to record. I just did not want to carry... The equipment across the country. I was trying not to work. So you did some work, huh? But he was so, so cool. He literally answered the door in his socks, made us coffee and tea. Respectively, Wayne drank the coffee. I drank <laughs> the tea. And, like, he was just such a delightful host. He was excited about showing us all the cool stuff in his house. So what I, I 
I said, let's just do a phone, you know, because we're used to talking on the phone across the continent. That's right. So he called in, uh, and you're going to hear him. He did a little shout-out. He did a little ID for Fifty Shades of Green yeah, Divas, of our cool Ed. Yes, cool Ed. Yeah, he's. And uh, he said to say hello to you. I yeah. Hello back to Ed. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a wonderful actor, and he's, and he's certainly one of the greenest dudes uh, around. Well, I mean, he's I don't one know. of the original sort of activists, green activists that uh, used his platform um, as as a celebrity to highlight the issues. Right. He's li- and he's living it. He really is. Right. He he's actually wife. practicing yeah. what he preaches because a lot of people talk, but then the action doesn't sort of, you know, go behind that talk. No, so. he's not Hollywood. You know what I mean? He didn't go Hollywood. He's... A legitimately great actor who's busy and doing well in his profession and sharing, you know, and and really cares about. He still had the same leaf that he had two years ago. Really? Yeah, the same leaf. And and he was very excited about telling. So anyway, you got to listen to that Green Dude segment, which uh, I'm sure is already posted if you're listening to this. Uh, There you go. So listen to Ed. He knows a lot of things about green and other things as well. And he's a nice dude, so that's good. Yeah. Good to know. So what's happening now? What are we talking about today? Uh, we are talking about population. Yeah. Uh, the population, overpopulation issue is something that's uh, not always a topic on the A-list of, you know, people talking about what we can do to help the world. No, it flies under the radar and people don't want to talk about it because it feels overwhelming and I think sometimes people assume that the answers and the solutions are things they don't want to do. Right. And getting people uh, to change their actions know. is a whole other ball game. You know? So you had an interesting question, which I'm going to ask, and you're going to answer for us, right? Sure. So what are the most popular creatures on Earth? Or populated? Populated. Well, right? yeah, it, it's, it's not us humans, although we are pretty up there. But uh, just looking at certain statistics, things that were pulled up were... Now, I don't understand why this is was printed this way, but there are more than 10 billion, 10 billion ants on the planet. 10 billion billion. Uh, you know, something like that. Like, I mean, that's well, that's 10, beyond 10, trillion. Right. It's like oh, you quadrillion. Can't, they can't I don't know. quantify the amount of ants. But then again, <laughs> there's less uncles, so we don't have to worry about it, you know. Uh, but... <laughs> Ding! But um, and they outweigh us in biomass, which is pretty in- insane. That is insane. Uh, but actually, krill are the champs among the animals of the world, with a population estimated at five hundred trillion. Well, there you go. So the krill is it. They're they're and all, there's a lot of worms well, too. The krill are keeping the yeah, whales yeah, alive, yeah, right? We have yeah. Somebody needs and to. a lot of people. A lot but, of fish and therefore us right so So it's very important so krill in the in the chain of of food save the krill save the krill (laughs) save the planet save my rhino the rhinos need to be saved too Um, there's there's not nearly enough of them save the green divas save the green divas yes just (laughs) 1-800-SAVE-THE-GREEN-DIVAS yes all right uh but again and back to us humans there are over 7 billion humans currently occupying the planet and we're pushing resources yeah. to the limit. Uh, we need to do something about this because 
resources will not be able to keep up? We won't be able to keep up? No. We're already struggling, and and there will be wars over resources like water and – well, clean air is going to become a difficulty, right, at some point if we keep um, polluting. Right. Just saying. And in a number of decades, there will be 9 billion people at the rate we're going. And we won't have enough trees to clean the air. I love – you did the research for this opening, and Mm -hmm. I love this – uh, half Earth concept. Will you tell us what that is about? Uh, well, I came across an article, uh, and it's an interesting concept to rid half the Earth of humans. Uh, it's 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 really interesting. Uh, and and just to clarify, you're not saying that you kill half the humans. No, no, we're not <laughs> killing anybody. Uh, we're just moving. We're kind of moving them. Yeah. We're, right. We're moving them. Uh, and some people say it's the only way to to, to save the planet now. Getting rid of half the humans on the planet, meaning, again, moving them. Uh, This article in The Guardian was written by Kim Stanley Robinson, and it refers to the plan by E.O. Wilson in his book Half Earth. Uh, The concept of Half Earth is to leave, as we said, about half of the Earth's surface free of humans so wild plants and animals can live there unimpeded as they did before humans arrived. And this would also be the same for oceans. Uh, people would live in the cities, which they are already doing, uh, and that would leave land emptier and more useful, so they'll be building up the cities. Uh, these empty, depopulated landscapes would be used for growing food, using new kinds of agriculture, which would be necessary to feed the populace, and they would also have to be carbon neutral. Well, and I suppose you would have more rainforest, more trees, and concentrations of and when we need those in order to continue to have a healthy atmosphere and breathe, you know, that kind of thing. Breathing is good. Breathing is maybe overrated, but a- I don't know. agriculture is important. So you know that area, which would be not less populated by humans, because there would be some humans, because they'd be growing, doing things. But uh, it's a, it's a it's a really it it seems like a really way out there concept, but. Um, it would allow for habitat corridors for our fellow creatures. There'd be no impediments such as fences and certain forms of transportation. And, you know, the, the, the creatures would be born free, you know. So cities would have to be green. Yeah. Uh, we would have to decarbonize transport and energy production, white roofs, gardens in every empty lot, full capture recycling and use of technologies. Right. Everything that we know right. that works could be employed in order to you know, make cities more uh, clean and green and right. then leave these depopulated areas. Right. And there's also important to have an emphasis on women's rights and health, income, income and equality, progressive taxation, and equal justice under the law. Hmm. Could this work? Well, I, you know, this is now you know. You know this is what our topic is about. And right. Yeah. We believe it can, obviously. So. Well, so, Robinson and Wilson think it already has to some extent. All right. So anyway, uh, just a quick shout out to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Fifty Shades of GDs. Right. The Green Divas, TM Shades of Green, Green Diva Mag. We're and all there. We're, we're out there. We're out there. Find us, man. Hi, this is Ed Begley, and you're listening to Fifty Shades of Green Divas. So what are some of the ways that we can help solve overpopulation? There's 
definitely things that are happening right now. Yeah. But it's very women play a key part in this. Women's education, health, and reproductive rights are crucial. Child, how many children one ha- you know the families have? Right. Uh, families, some of them are way too large as different parts of the world, and uh, keeping it down to one or two. Uh, I know they had See, a policy. See, that's a hard. That's a hard discussion. People really don't want to be dictated to about that. But I, as you'll hear later in this show, there are you know real correlations. Studies have been done to show that when women are more educated, they make better choices about their uh, reproductive patterns, or if you will, or their decision making about family planning is more a little less haphazard, maybe. Right, and and men having a part in that, yeah, being educated yeah. as well. We can't yes. leave out that component. No, no, no. Uh, we also need to have income uh, inequality that has to go away. We need to have income levels yeah. that yeah. people can live on. Yeah, sustainable. You know, sustainable wages, yeah. Yeah. fair wages, uh, very important. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just equal protection and and just making sure that, that people – get what they deserve and work get there to work. There is justice, through. right? Some there is justice somewhere. Justice. And then there's also moving to another planet. Well that's an option. Hey. Sort of. Mars. Not really. <laughs> hey, Musk says Mars is the place. Yeah. You know? And uh and Stephen Hawking said, you know, we have to get out somehow. <laughs> so who knows? Well he got out already. You know, so. yeah, he got out. <laughs> he figured away. So we recently had a chance to speak to Dr. Paul Ehrlich who's the author of the book, The Population Bomb, which was published 50 years ago. It was both groundbreaking and controversial. It brought the topic of population to the forefront. Really, it was the beginning of this conversation that we've had. He is a Bing Professor of Population Studies Emeritus, as well as the president of the Center of Conservation Biology at Stanford University. Uh, he's also the president of the Millennium Alliance for Humanity and Biosphere, as he works to reduce the threat of shattering collapse of civilization, <laughs> which seems dramatic. But when you talk to him, you're like, oh, yeah, wow, this is like this is happening. It is I happening. Mean, Strain is. Yeah. And his fascinating new book, which we talked a little bit about, uh, The Jaws, the story of a hidden epidemic, really fascinating stuff that he's work that he's doing that delves into how uh, agriculture and industrial revolutions have transformed the entire biosphere. Right, and that is also connected to the evolution of the jaw and the teeth, and it's really fascinating. years ago when we wrote the population bomb, we were concerned about global warming, but we only knew about half of the forcing. That was Ralph Cicero and other scientists hadn't shown us that carbon dioxide was only half of the problem. At that time, we had 3.5 billion people in the world. Uh, Now we have almost that number hungry or micronutrient malnourished uh, and many, many more threats to our civilization that we didn't realize was going on in those days. On the positive side, of course, at least the scientific community has gotten very concerned with this. The scientific community 
has warned many times that if we keep the human population growing and our consumption growing, that we're going to have a collapse of civilization. Uh, the most recent was a paper within the last year, uh, which was supported by 15,000 scientists saying, among other things, we had to do something about human population. So it's a mixed bag, but mostly the news is bad. people could be doing if they were concerned about this. Uh, one of the main things, of course, would be giving full equal rights to women everywhere and equal opportunities, because we know that that leads to drops in birth rates. We should be giving everyone full access to modern contraception and backup abortion for the same reason, because we must humanely get the size of the human population shrinking to a level that can be supported uh, in the at least the near future. We could be stopping burning fossil fuels as rapidly as we can and doing other things to intercede in the destruction of our climate system, which is going on very rapidly. We could very much restrict the use and disposal of plastics unless we can manage to invent one that can be melted down, the remains can be melted down, and reused, uh, which, uh, you know, we're facing having as much plastics junk in the oceans as we are fish. Uh, the weight of plastics is approaching well, the weight of fish. We could be doing everything possible uh, to stop habitat destruction and save uh, the biodiversity, which is completely necessary to support our civilization by wiping out uh, plants and animals we share the planet with, we're basically sawing off the limb we're sitting on because they supply us with food, ameliorate our climate, supply us with water, on and on and on. So there are many things we should be doing, but of course we're not. We also had a chance to speak with Robert Walker again, as we have spoken to him before, about this important topic. He's the president of the Population Institute, where he directs the organization's advocacy and public education activities. He works on issues related to health, economic development, sustainability, and the environment. He's in the process of writing, almost finished, with a book entitled The Human Prospect. time not that long ago that when people talked about overpopulation, the solution was family planning. Uh, family planning, for the most part, particularly in developing countries, uh, was primarily a question of access to contraception, meaning providing the supplies, because around the world, many women in developing countries wanted to have access to contraception, and that physical access, what was the really missing ingredient. But increasingly today, when we talk about overpopulation, we have to really talk about reproductive health and rights, and we have to talk about gender equality. Because when you look at developing countries today, 
um, something really stands out, and that is that in countries where fertility rates are still high, the reason appears to be gender inequality, and particularly issues like child marriage. Uh, and what we're seeing in those developing countries that have yet made the demographic transition to lower fertility is oftentimes a case of where the women really don't have the authority to decide for themselves how many children to have and when. And that's particularly true for child brides, but it's even a larger cultural issue about the status of women uh, and their role in society. So I don't think one can talk about uh, population and the environment without talking about gender equality because more and more it's critical. Uh, it's not to say that access to contraception itself isn't still a concern. It's a concern even in this country, but certainly when you look at the developing world where population growth rates are the fastest, uh, gender really, really stands out. One of the factors that we know accounts for high fertility uh, in the developing world today is a question about the educational attainment level of women in those countries. Where we have countries where girls rarely go beyond primary school, and even if they go into secondary school, may only be there for one or two years, uh, we generally see high rates of fertility. And that even in those countries, when we see women with uh, more education, they're likely to have smaller families. So there is a very, very close tie today between uh, the issue of girls' education and not just their enrollment in school, but ensuring that they receive a quality education. Because we know from the evidence that when girls receive the same education as boys, they're far more likely to use contraception, and they're far more likely to have smaller families. So there's a really a direct tie today uh, between the education of girls uh, and the question about population. Central as girls and gender equality is, uh, it's sometimes easy to, to neglect the source of that gender inequality, which is boys and men and the way they treat women. It's not just a question about the status of women. Men have to step up to the plate as well uh, in decisions that are made between couples about fertility. Uh, one option uh, is for, for a man, for example, to have a vasectomy when the couple believes that they've had enough children and they don't want to bear anymore. The question then comes up, well, how do we address that? And the answer overwhelmingly in developing countries is sterilization on the part of the woman, which is far more of a, of a medical concern or challenge than is a vasectomy for males. So we leave males, or by that, of course, boys and men, uh, out of the equation at our peril here, because they're really a core part of the problem.
now it's time for Silly Science Facts with Green Diva Max. Or in this segment, Silly Science Fiction Facts. So let's talk about The Marching Morons, a short science fiction story by Cyril M. Kornbluth, written back in 1951. Here's the basic plot. A man is revived in the future after being put in suspended animation. You could think of Futurama, Idiocracy. The world seems mad until one character named Teeny Pete explains the problem of population. So this, this short science fiction story ties into the population theme of this show, albeit in a really weird way. Again, the story was originally published, published in April of 1951 in the, the issue of Galaxy Science Fiction and was reviewed in a blog by Gandolin in 2010. Sounds like a character in The Hobbit. Right. Uh, <laughs> something like that. And again, this story is titled The Marching Morons. Kind of just hit me in the face. And it parallels today's society in many ways. Uh, Cyril Kornbluth was incredibly insightful in the mid-20th century as he describes the problems of population throughout this piece, which was, and still is, an issue that flies under the radar. Uh, the story is set in the future. The main character, John Barlow, was put into suspended animation by a freak accident. He it's was always a freak accident. There's, there's by always the way, something. Right? They, 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 the Jello got all over him. Something happened. I don't know. That green Jello was weird. Green Jello. Green Jello. He was revived hundreds of years later. So, John Barlow wakes up from from again suspended animation, only to discover that the world has gone mad. Oh, you mean he woke up like yesterday? <laughs> right. He woke up this morning. It's like, and there was something called problem of population. This was the result of intelligent people choosing not to have babies while less intelligent people chose to procreate prolifically. (laughs) That's almost alliteration there, It is alliteration. Sorry. Uh, To add to this generation of less intelligent people, more sophisticated machines made it less important to have skills requiring a higher level of education. Remember the movie Wally? It was I loved Wally. He was like the most lovable little thing, robot thing, right? Right, and it was probably one of the best environmental films that I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he, in that movie, humans must escape a dying planet Earth on an enormous spacefaring cruise ship, where the self-destructive tendencies only get worse because they were eating and drinking and just not working. After seven hundred years of drift in space. Humans have grown too bloated to walk and too lazy to think. Hmm. Yeah, we're getting there. We're, we're, we're almost there pretty soon. So Cornbluth depicts the world of, let's say, 2151 as full of morons. <laughs> and, and Barlow, who was a shrewd real estate con man, has a solution to sell the elite to the elite in exchange for being made world dictator. I wonder what Cornbluth predicted for the U.S. election in 2016. <laughs> he saw it. He you know, he must have saw He had a vision. He knew what was happening. Uh, so, again, in the story, the human population had 3 million hybrid elite and 5 billion not-so-elite, and the IQ of the average human was 45. Yup, another parallel, as we use the number 45 a lot these days. Yeah. Mm, grumbling. Grumbling, grumbling. Uh, those with IQs of over 100 worked grueling hours to keep the average folks alive. 
but had little success solving the whole prob problem. So, the author uses the phrases morons to identify the message, masses, which isn't exactly politically correct today. But in keeping with the context of the story, I will continue to use that word to describe the populace. Uh, the story is quite dystopian, and you see the struggle of the remaining intelligent folk to avert the tipping point of global disaster. The elite finally become aware of Barlow's tactics and the fact that he is a corrupt real estate businessman with a horse trader's gift of persuasion and his ruthless self-interest. Barlow is a true wheeler dealer bent on taking over the world. Sound familiar? Anybody? Yeah. Anybody? Uh, so back to the story. <laughs> Some of us could easily interpret this to illustrate our current 45, similar characteristics to that of Barlow. Real estate corrupt businessman? Hmm. Yeah. I uh, know. Mm -hmm. Though he did solve some of the problems of, hmm, or po-prob, or whatever they're using, it was in mostly evil ways. The population was reduced somewhat as he baited and scammed the morons into thinking a trip to Venus or a house on the beach would make life better. They didn't realize that they were being sent to their untimely deaths. In the end, he met his fate as he was placed on a rocket and sent to Venus to enjoy some of the ham from the fictitious ham bushes he conjured up to sell the trips to others. He had all ham bushes. Yeah, he came up with all kinds. He came up with like crazy things to scam all these people. Yeah. But he did reduce the population. Oh, so strangely, it had a, an effect. Another fascinating silly science facts with Green Diva Max. <laughs> So what solutions can we as humans come up with to address the growing problem of overpopulation? There are over 7 billion of us, and we cannot keep up with the resources needed to provide food, water, shelter, health care, and a standard of living which protects all earthlings and mother nature. We are smart, we are resilient, and there are solutions we can put into place to slow the population. So as per our usual way of closing and wrapping up a show... We search for some wise words or poems related to the topic. And uh, Max did the homework this week, and she found a couple of relevant poems. And she will first read. Tell us what you're going to read, Max. I'm going to read Emily Dickinson, and the name of it is called The Most Important Population. The most important population unnoticed dwell. They have a heaven each instant, not any hell. Their names, unless you know them, twirl useless tell of bumblebees and other nations. The grass is full. Wow. And we're both like, wow. That's Whoa. so cool. Cool. Now, Meg. I am going to read Overpopulation by Torin Galishaw. Just imagine... If instead of gasoline, we had cars that ran on batteries or steam from water that is free. And those skyscrapers in your local city center, instead of banks, focused solely on making money, were 80-story greenhouses. We'd never go hungry. I have a friend afraid of overpopulation. How can I explain? Man can do anything. 
And instead of coal and dinosaur bones, we discover potential of unlimited energy. I know we can, if we don't worry about the profit involved. listening to the 50 Shades of Green, a collaborative gig between the Green Divas and the Many Shades of Green radio shows, happily recorded at Green Diva Studio. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcasts and the Many Shades of Green on iHeartRadio, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and Stitcher, among other places. You can find more information about this show and much more on thegreendivas.com.